have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the third gospel, the gospel of Luke. The title of our message, Parents and a Child We Can Model. Parents and a Child That We Can Model. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 39 to the end of the chapter, verse 52. But for our reading, let's just look at verse 39 and 40. When Joseph and Mary had performed all things, not some things, not a majority of things, not the things that they liked or felt good or were convenient or cheap, when they performed all things, According to the laws of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And their son, their only child at this time, whose name was Jesus, he grew. He waxed strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God the Father was upon him. Today we're going to be looking at principles for parents and grandparents, since many times in our society grandparents play just as much an important part in a child's life as the parents. So principles for parenting and grandparenting, and challenges for children. Again, something for everybody here. Now, I thought it would be good in the final message on the home if I gave you a model to look at. Sometimes seeing is believing. And so to help us with our parenting principles, our model is going to be Joseph and Mary. We're going to learn what they did in raising Jesus that made a profound difference in his life. And then our challenges to our children, well, I can't think of a better model of how to be a child than Jesus Christ. Because, you know, Jesus started out as a what? A baby. And then he became a little boy, then he became a big boy, then he became a teenager, then he became a young man. He, he had every phase of life that we go through. So he could identify with us in every phase of life. And so today we're going to be looking at Joseph and Mary, uh, principles for parents, and then we're going to be looking at Jesus, Jesus, challenges for children. But let's begin with our four principles for parents that we're going to learn from Joseph and Mary. Now in many ways this is a capsulization and a summation of all the things that we've already talked about in this series, but I figured you forgot them by now. So we're going to go back over them just a little bit and get some new stuff in as well. All right, principle number one for those of us that are parents and grandparents is this. We must live for the Lord. We must live for the Lord. Look at verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the laws of the Lord, in regard to spiritual and religious matters, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. 
When Joseph and Mary were given a miraculous son by the name of Jesus, they were determined and they were going to be dedicated to raise that little boy in a Christian home. If God's word said, you go there, they went there. If God's word said, you get that, they went and got that. If God's word said, you do this, that's exactly what they did. They left nothing out. Everything the law, spiritually and religiously, asked of them, required of them, commanded of them, or even gave them an option about. They did. When Jesus was born, they presented him to the religious leaders for a blessing, just like they were supposed to. They named him Jesus, just like God told them to name him. They offered a sacrifice for Jesus, just like they were supposed to. They had him circumcised on the eighth day, as all Hebrew boys were to be. They brought him for the blessings that he was received to receive from the various dignitaries. They learned him to observe all of the feasts. They followed all the ordinances. They obeyed all the customs and traditions and politities of Judaism. Joseph and Mary honored the Lord in raising Jesus. They didn't cut no corners. They didn't duck and dodge. They didn't look for the cheap or convenient way out. They didn't make excuses. If this is what the Lord and this is what the church of their day and this is what the religion of their day required them to do, the Bible says they did it. Now you might be saying, well, pastor, it was easy in that day. They didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> it's never been easy to be a parent. It wasn't easy for them, it's not easy for us. Because being a parent takes time, being a parent takes effort, being a parent requires labor, being a parent requires money. It all goes together. And Joseph and Mary said, Lord, whatever the price that needs to be paid, we will pay it. Because it's important that we teach our son about the things of God. Now, why did they do that? I mean, why didn't they just do it half of it? Or three-quarters of it? Because they understood something, parents and grandparents. Children learn not with their ears and our talk. They learn with their eyes and our walk. We spend too much time trying to teach through the ears with words. You teach your children by your walk with your works. It doesn't take children long to figure out those who are hypocrites, who say one thing and do another. It was very important for Joseph and Mary to teach Jesus from the time he was a little guy all the way up to he was a big guy. This is what you believe. This is how you behave. 
This is the way that you please God and honor God. This is how you do it. You know, a, a study was taken some years ago about this children learning from us. And what this survey found was this, that when a dad and mom go to church together and stay in church, not just pop in and out, but they actually go and they stay and they make it a part of their life, 72% of their children will continue in church, going and staying. But if only dad chooses to go to church and stay in church, mom wants nothing to do with it, only dad, the percentage goes down to 55%. 55% of children who have only a dad that will go to church and stay in church, 55% chance they will continue to do likewise. If only a mom comes to church and stays in church. If dad won't come, which is sadly the case in many instances, only 15%, 15% of those children will go to church and stay in church when they can make their own choice. And when neither mom or dad goes to church, won't go, only 6%. Of all those children raised in those kind of homes will ever go to church or stay in church. Joseph and Mary understood if they wanted their son Jesus to live for God, they had to live for God. And they had to live for God 100% Monday through Sunday. Anything less would send mixed signals. Anything less would confuse Jesus, contradict their teaching, and possibly cause him to be less than what God wanted that boy to be. Remember, they didn't really understand it all like we do. But they knew whatever God had in store for this miraculous son called Jesus, they were going to make sure they weren't a stumbling block. But they were a stepping stone to it. Principle number two, Joseph and Mary not only made a decision to live for Jesus, and they did, but in verse 42, they passed their faith on to Jesus. We as parents must pass our faith on to our children. We pass our money on to them, we pass our material things on to them, but that's for this world. And this world isn't very long. Our lives are but a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. The most important thing we can give our children and grandchildren is something for that world. And that's faith. Notice in verse 42 it says, And when he was 12 years old, Joseph and Mary went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When Jesus turned 12 years old, they went back to Jerusalem to observe the custom of the feast. Now in that day, a boy was considered a man at age 12. The boy sat down and the man stood up. 
Today we consider that about 18 in our society, in our culture. But in that day it was much earlier because life expectancy was much shorter. So when you turned 12 years old, you became a man in Hebrew society. In fact, you became what was called a son of the law. What that simply meant was mom and dad, who was responsible for your spiritual life and your religious life up till then, no longer would be responsible. When you turned 12 years old, when you became a son of the law, you took ownership in your own spirituality. You took ownership in your own religion. They were no longer responsible for you in that aspect. They no longer would answer for you in that aspect. You now took responsibility. You now would answer to God and to anyone else for the choices you made spiritually and religiously. Now for 12 years, Joseph and Mary have poured themselves into Jesus. They've taught him to love the God. They've taught him to love the church of that day. They've taught him to observe the things of God day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, in hot weather, cold weather, in season, out of season, makes no difference. Son, you live for God. You live for God. And they used the church to help do that. They taught him at home. And then they took him to church of their day that he would be also taught. You see, they, they used the things that God provided for them to help them teach their son. To help them pass on the baton of their faith to his faith. So when Jesus became 12 years old, it was only natural for him to love God. You know why? His parents loved God. It was only natural for him to go to church. You know why? Because his parents went to church. It was only natural for him to want to obey God and to follow God because his parents obeyed God and followed God. Jesus learned from them with his eyes. He watched them. And he saw that what they told him with their talk, they also did the walk. And so now at age 12 years old, He's got to take ownership for his own faith. Joseph and Mary have passed the baton to Jesus. A little boy was once asked why he loved the Lord and he liked to go to church. And the little fellow paused for a moment and then with a grin on his face he said, I guess it just runs in the family. <laughs> and you know, isn't that true? Isn't that true of all of us? Our children and our grandchildren essentially what they think about the Lord and what they think about church and what they think about spiritual things really, really come from us. I'll ask you a question, and I don't want you to turn white and, or green or pass out. Suppose we brought your children up here and lined them up here. Suppose we brought your grandchildren up here, lined them up here. And suppose I took a microphone and I said, young man, who are your parents? Pastor, my parents are John and Mary Doe. Okay. Tell me what's the most important thing to your parents, young man. You've watched them. 
You've listened to them. You've experienced them for your years of life. Tell me, young man, what's the most important thing to your daddy? What's the most important thing to your mommy? And we went right down the line. And your child, your child, my child, is going to be standing right here. Our grandchildren will be standing with us. Let me ask you a question. What would your children say about you? What would your grandchildren say about you? What would they say? The most important thing to my daddy is sports. He lives Carolina. He never misses a game. He gives money to be part of their booster club. He gets those season tickets. He goes to Columbia and he travels the southeastern part of the nation to watch him play. Oh, my daddy loves football. There's nothing wrong with football, is there? We, I've coached football. You, many of you have coached and played football. But is that the most important thing in your life? Is that what you're going to be remembered for when you're dead and gone by your children? Football? Sports? Or what about work? Would they say work? All daddy did was work. All daddy did was work. He made a lot of money. Put roof over our head, food on the table, clothes on their back. Got to put a degree in our hands. All my daddy did was work. They say the house. Most important thing to my mom is the house. The house has got to be clean. Yard's got to look good. That's all she does Monday through Sunday, 9 to 5. She's just out there in that yard. Got to be nice. Would they say making money is the most important thing to you? Would they say entertainment's the most important thing to you? Would they say being part of some club or fraternity, whatever the name might be, is most important to you? What would they say? Why are some of you not wanting to look at me? Folks, we're to train our children and grandchildren in such a way that they know without a shadow of a doubt that the most important thing to daddy and mom and grandmom and granddaddy is Jesus. Everything else is okay, but nothing comes ahead of him. Nothing. Or his church, or his word. Joseph and Mary taught Jesus by living it before him. And then they passed the baton of faith on to him when he turned 12. Thirdly, there came a time when Joseph and Mary had to let Jesus go that he could grow. They had to let go of him. They had to push the bird out of the nest. That's always hard, isn't it? They had to cut the umbilical cord. Verse 43 through 49, follow the story. When they had fulfilled the days of the feast, and while they were returning home, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
And Joseph and his mother did not know that he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now it says in verse 44, they were supposing Jesus to have been with one another as they traveled for almost a day. And they believe that he's probably with his aunts or uncles or some other family members. Verse 45, when they went to try to find him, they could not, so they, Joseph and Mary, had to turn back again to Jerusalem. They had to turn around after one day of travel, go all the way back to Jerusalem to try to find Jesus. It came to pass that after three days, verse 46, they found him in all places, the church of that day. Here is 12-year-old Jesus sitting in the midst of these PhDs of religion. And he's listening to them, and he's asking them questions. And all of these PhDs, these doctors of religion, are astonished. This 12-year-old boy knows more about the Word of God than they know. Of course, they didn't know he's the living Word, did they? They're astonished. Verse 48, Joseph and Mary, when they see what's happening, they're amazed. And then Mary, his mother, in verse 48, is just a tad aggravated. She was a human being, you know. Son, why have you done this? Your father and I have been worried sick for you. We've been in sorrow. We thought something happened to you. In verse 49, Jesus says two questions to them. Why is it that you sought me? Why, Why were you worried about me being alone by myself on my own? Did you not know that I would be doing my father's business in my father's house? Wow. Joseph and Mary were in Jerusalem with Jesus. The religious observations and ceremonies were over. They start traveling back home. Now, you might think Joseph and Mary are bad parents. I see some of you going, eh, I wouldn't have done that. Well, let me explain to you how it worked in that day. Men were superior. Women and children were inferior. So men, when they traveled, would always be up front together. The men would always lead up front. The women and the children would always follow in the rear. It was a patriarchal society. Men ruled. Jesus came along and changed all that, by the way. You ladies need to love Jesus for that. He boosted you up. And so Joseph is walking up here with all of the men as they are heading home. And you know what he's thinking? Jesus is with who? Mary. Come on, help me out. Mary. Well, Mary's back here with all the women and some of the children, but Jesus is now 12 years old. He's considered a what? Man. So Mary's saying, I'm not worried about where Jesus is. He's up there with his who? Father. And so they travel for 24 hours before they come together. And Joseph says, Mary, where's Jesus? Mary says, well, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Let's go check our aunts and our uncles, our nieces, our nephews. Let's see if we can find him. 
Well, they can't find him. They panic. Goodness gracious, where's he went? So they head back to Jerusalem to find him. It's another day travel. They don't have cars and buses and airplanes. They've got to go on foot or ride donkeys, but they've got to get back. They arrive in Jerusalem, and they search the city for Jesus. Finally, they go to the temple. Maybe we can get some help here. And lo and behold, he's in the temple. And he's standing before these doctorates of religion. And he's asking them questions, and they can't figure them out. He's giving them answers. He's debating with them. There's discourse. There's, there's talk going back and forth. And those religious leaders are scratching their head and saying, who in the world is this? His mom and dad walk in and say, wow, that's our boy. And then Mary gets a little aggravated with him. <laughs> she says, Jesus, come here a minute. Why in the world did you run off? Why in the world are you here doing this? You didn't tell us. Why didn't you say something? And Jesus essentially says, well, you don't need to worry about me, Mom. I'm now a man. And now I must move on to my father's house and my father's business. I'm about to be leaving you very soon. That's what he was saying. And Joseph and Mary learned something that day that we have to learn. Our children are not our children. Our children are not our children. Our children are God's. He loans them to us. He gives them to us on a loan. He says, take care of them. Watch over them, care for them, love them, protect them, teach them, discipline them. But one day you're going to have to let them go. You cannot embrace them. You cannot hold them. You cannot put a leash on them and keep pulling them back. One day you've got to say bye. You've got to trust that how you've lived and what you've given them and how you've lived will allow them to live. Sometimes we parents want to hold on a little bit too long and a little bit too tight. And it can have grave consequences for our children. It hinders them. If a mother holds too long to a son, it infeminates him. If a father holds too long to a daughter, it makes her backwards. We're to always love them. We're to always be part of their life. But we've got to let them go. And trust that what we've shown them with our talk and our walk and what we've passed on to them concerning faith will vibe for them. We've got to let our children go if they're going to grow. And then the fourth characteristic for parents is we must cherish our times with our children. We must live for the Lord before our children. We must pass our faith on to our children. 
We must be prepared one day to let our children go, believing that the God who we can trust will take care of them and that what we've given them will equip them for what they're going to face. And then we need to have memories that we can cling to when they're not physically with us no more. Notice in verse 51 it says, and the end of that verse, his mother Mary kept all these sayings in her heart. In other words, Mary would never forget what Jesus said to her and what she saw that day. She would constantly, as she went through life and grew older, think back to Jesus at 12 years old in that temple, engaging those religious scholars. She'll never forget how Jesus said, Mom, you don't have to worry about me. I'm a man now, and I've got to do now what my father called me to do, and I'm going to begin here in his temple with his priests. She never forgot that. Parents, what do you remember about your children and grandchildren? Are your memories positive? Are they sweet? Or are they negative and sour? What's the highlight reel that you have for your children and grandchildren right now? Does it have a lot of memories? Just a few? Maybe none? You know, I preach to me before I ever preach to you. Do you know that? See, I write these sermons. So I'm preaching to me, then I preach to you. Sometimes I'm harder on me than you. Sometimes I'm harder on you than me. You know, I was thinking about as I was thinking back about our children. As you think about your children and grandchildren, what do you remember? I remember him playing basketball. That was one of the most fun times of our life, was when our children all played basketball, and we could go and watch them play those games. We never missed a game. We missed one game in four years. It was important for us to be there, to watch them play. I'm a former coach, so I coached from the stadium, from the stands. I don't know if they liked it, but I did. And Randy's a former cheerleader, and she cheered from the stands. I don't know if they liked it, but she did. <laughs> That's what parents do, but I mean, I have fond memories of that. And then I thought about how we used to play basketball in the driveway. Four broken windshields. That's another story for another day. How we used to play horse, and I'd beat them every time when they were little. And then they got a little bit bigger, and they'd beat me some, and I'd beat them some. Then they got a whole lot bigger, and they beat Dad all the time. But they were kind children. They'd let Dad win sometimes. Do you remember things like that? Giving them things that they really wanted and surprising them with it? doing things for them that were very helpful that they couldn't do for themselves? Do you remember your children's salvation when they got saved? Do you remember when they started dating? Do you remember when they got their driver's license? 
I thank God for Randy being there to teach him. <laughs> I was a chicken to get behind in the car with them guys. But you remember when they got married? Remember when they brought the grandchildren and the grand dog into our lives? Say, Pat, don't you, don't you have sweet memories of your children and grandchildren? If you don't, something's wrong with you. Because God gives us those memories to help us let them go. We can't always have them, but we can always have the memories. So that's what Joseph and Mary teach us, parents. But in our time remaining, and this is a little bit shorter, I want to talk to the children. Now, most of our children are over here to my right, but all of us are children. You say, Pastor, when do I cease to be a child? You'll always be a child to your mom and dad. I'm 62 years old. I'm still my mother's son. You'll, I will always be her son. We're, so... This is for all of us in some way, shape, or form, but particularly those children who are still growing up, our teenagers perhaps. What can we learn from Jesus who is the model child, the model teenager? Well, there's two things, and I'm going to share them with us quickly. Number one, children, we can learn from Jesus. Teenagers, we can learn from Jesus to be obedient to our parents. And verse 51, you'll notice before it talked about Mary and holding all these memories in her heart. I want you to see it says, And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth. In other words, Jesus returned back with Joseph and Mary to his hometown of Nazareth. And he was subject unto them. Now that word subject is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that means obedient. Jesus was obedient to his parents, Joseph and Mary. But it also is an interesting word, obedient, because it comes from another Greek word that means to be obedient because you respect authority. You are obedient because you recognize and respect authority. Jesus obeyed his parents, not because they threatened him, not because they bullied him, not because they forced him. He obeyed his parents because he respected them as being God-given authority over him. Jesus, the living word, obeyed his own written word. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, teenagers, obey your parents in all things. All things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Exodus 20.13 talks about the promise that's given to those who will honor and obey their parents. It says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord God has given thee. You want to live a long life? Honor your parents and obey them. 
You know, Jesus doesn't just tell us to do something he doesn't do. When he was growing up, even though he was the Lord, when Joseph and Mary told him to do something, he said, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and he did it. Did he always like it? <laughs> we'll ask him when we get to heaven. Did he agree with it? Did he want to do it? Would he have rather played with his friends? Would he have rather went to the ball field? Maybe so. But Jesus understood God has given me authority in my life to protect me. And I will honor that authority by obeying that authority. And that authority begins with parents. When you have children who will not obey parental authority, you are sowing or beginning to see the seeds of rebellion that will only continue to grow out of the ground into a plant and one day produce fruit. Nobody who's 18 years old just turns rebellious. They've always been rebellious. It's just now being magnified more. The seeds are always planted when you're young. Teenagers obey, and parents make them obey. Because when you allow them to be rebels, you're allowing them to be devils. The word rebellion is traced back to a word in which we get witchcraft. And witchcraft is traced back to a word that we get demonic occultism. So when you rebel against parental authority, you are rebelling actually acting like the devil who rebelled against God himself. You are practicing witchcraft. You are following the leadership of the devil. Rebellion that is not stopped in the home will make your home a hell on earth. And rebels that are not stopped in home will go to a hell in eternity. Rebellion that is allowed into the home will make your home a hell on earth. And the rebels who cause the rebellion that are not disciplined are learning to disrespect authority which ultimately will lead to their own eternal demise. Because what is God, ladies and gentlemen? He is a what? An authority figure. And if they grow up in life saying, I said no to mom and dad, and mom and dad did nothing. I said no to my teacher, and my teacher didn't do anything because mom and dad ran to the school and took up for me. And I said no to that police officer, and nothing happened to me because I called in all my politicians to help me out. I said no to my military officer, and he didn't do nothing to me because he knew I'd file a complaint with him and cost him his career job. And I said no to my employer, but he didn't do nothing to me because he was afraid I'd protest outside his work if he did something to me. 
See, what we do is we allow people to be defiant to authority. And one step leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. To one day they're going to look up at God and say, listen, God, you ain't going to do nothing either. You just all talk like all of the rest of them have been. See, that's what happens. We do our children no favors when we allow them to rebel against what we tell them to do. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor, what am I supposed to do with my 16-year-old son who's in my face telling me he ain't going to do this and he ain't going to do that, and he cusses at me and steals from me? I said, ma'am, you've come to me about 13 years too late. You should have done something when he was three years old, but you didn't. Should have done something when he was six, but you didn't. You should have done something when he was nine, but you didn't. You let him get away with it. And now you're coming to me and asking me what you can do. The only thing I can tell you to do is kick him out of the house. You can't do nothing with him. He's beyond you now. Children, obey your parents. And parents, make them obey. And then secondly, lastly, children, you got to grow up. You don't grow down. You don't grow sideways. God wants you to grow up. I want you to notice that Jesus, in verse <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 52, I want you to know it says how Jesus grew. Now, children, you obey your parents. Teenagers, you obey your parents. That's what Jesus did. The living word bent his knee, and he obeyed the written word, and he submitted himself to the authority of his parents. It says in verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom. Follow attention. Jesus grew up, increased. He grew up in wisdom, stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. Real quick. First of all, Jesus grew up in wisdom. Young people, wisdom is not education. It's not knowledge. It's not common sense. It's not street savvy. Wisdom as described in the Bible, spoken of in the Bible, is the ability to take the Word of God and apply it to your daily life. It's not just stuffing stuff up here so you can say you know it, but it's taking what you know here and applying it to your life every day in every situation and circumstance you face. Jesus was a very wise teenager. He knew the Word of God. Not because he was the living word, but because he studied it. And then he took what he studied, and he just didn't walk around up here and say, well, I know that, I know that. He put it into his daily life. The Bible speaks of wisdom, and the Bible speaks of fools. Fools are not people who are not educated. You can be an intelligent fool. <laughs> A fool in the Bible is somebody who doesn't go to the Bible. They just live their life in their own thoughts. So Jesus grew up mentally. His mind developed. As he knew the word of God, he started practicing the word of God. Then he also grew up in stature, the Bible says. Little Jesus started to grow. He grew mentally with wisdom. He grew physically in stature. That word stature means speaking of your physical body. Do you know God created you? He gave you a body? He made you to look like you look? 
And if you're saved, your body isn't your body. (laughs) It's God's. Because if you're saved, guess who came inside of you when you gave your life to Jesus? The Spirit of God. So your body's really a church. Think about that. This is not the church. You're the church. You're the church. I'm the church. We just come together in a building called the church. But really, this is the church. And Jesus grew up physically. He understood that inside of him was God. And therefore, he didn't put tobacco into his body. He didn't put alcohol into his body. He didn't put sexual immorality into his body. He didn't put junk food into his body. He didn't put get out of his body to get out of shape. He didn't stain his body. He didn't streak his body. He didn't cut his body. This was his body, and he was to honor God with it. Young people, you need to understand that God has given you a body. You take care of it. Don't mess it up when you're young because you'll pay for it when you're old. I was thinking about the hardest one of those things to do is the junk food. I don't have a problem with the other stuff. But walking away from a cookie is a challenge. He grew grew up in wisdom. He grew up in body, stature. He grew up in faith. That's what that favor with God means. He grew up in faith. Each and every day of his life, he learned to love Jesus more and trust Jesus. Excuse me, love God more and trust God more. Obey God more. His faith grew. It wasn't static. It was a progressive faith. He came to know the Father even closer as he grew older. Jesus never backslid. He always frontslided. I wonder if his favorite song was, I have decided to follow my Lord. No turning back. No turning back. And then lastly, he grew, it says, in favor with man. He grew mentally. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. And then he grew socially. It says he grew in stature with man. What's that mean? It means that Jesus was a gentleman. He wasn't brash. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't up in people's face. He didn't call people's names. He didn't belittle people. Jesus was a gentleman. He got along with people. He was diplomatic. He was mannered. He was polite. He was respectful. He was caring. He was good. He was kind. He was unselfish. He was loyal. He knew how to minister to people. Today, too many preachers are brash and arrogant in the pulpit, and they holler and scream and belittle people they don't like. And politicians, quite frankly, do the same thing. And sometimes we're just downright rude to people and discourteous and disrespectful. I may not like you, but I'm going to respect you. I may not agree with what you say and do, but I I can respect you as a person. And we've lost something in our nation and in our church when we can no longer be civil and cordial to one another. 
I can do funeral services for witches and I can get along with them. Because I'm still going to talk about Jesus in a way that they need to hear, but I'm not going to belittle them. I can do services for a homosexual, and I have. And I, and I can share Jesus with them without belittling their, their lifestyle and those issues. We can't close ourselves off from people calling people names. We want to reach people. And you can't reach people if you alienate people. And Jesus learned how to be a gentleman. He was a, he was a gentleman. He, and we're to be ladies and gentlemen of our faith as well. But time is up. Time is up. Parents, how have you done? Children, how have you done? Parents, are you living for the Lord in all ways? Yes or no? Parents, are you passing on your faith, just like you're passing on your other material things and monies to your children and grandchildren? Are you passing on your faith, yes or no? Are you allowing your children to grow up and let them go, yes or no? Do you have sweet memories of your children and grandchildren, yes or no? Children, are you obeying your parents, yes or no? Are you making wise choices? Yes or no? Are you caring for your body? Are you taking care of that body that God gave you? Yes or no? Are you trusting God and following God to the best of your ability every day? Yes or no? Are you respectful to others? Yes or no? And if you answered no to any of this stuff, there's room for improvement. And why not today? Why not today start doing it? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.